You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. The congregations of Union Road and La Comfort, I suppose it would be true to say, are about to start a new chapter in the history of your congregations in uh, a short space of time in the future. At the service of installation, which will be held on a particular evening yet the site to be determined, there will be what is called a charge preached. And if it follows the normal pattern, about 80% of what is said will be advice given to the new minister and about 20% to the congregation. Assuming that's possibly what will happen, I felt this morning that it would be appropriate to ask one or two questions. And each of these questions really is but one question, asked in different ways. The question basically is, what should we as a congregation expect from one another as members of the congregation at this particular time? Or, put another way, what are the ingredients in our lives that will enable us as a church to have the windows of heaven open as the Spirit of God would move in, the, in this place in the future? And in answering this particular question, I would like us to turn to First Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2 that we read together this morning. Because I think that we can nearly answer these questions by asking another question. And the question is, what are my obligations as a member of the local church? I would like to suggest to you this morning there are three things that we could say in answer to that question. And the first one is to live a life of personal holiness. In chapter 1, verse 15 of 1 Peter, we read these words, as you are called to be, as he who called you is holy, you also should be holy in all your conduct. The local church is the arena or the platform in which God displays his holiness today. In the book of Psalms, the Psalms reminds us that the heavens declare the glo- of the glory of God and the earth showeth forth his handiwork. That God's glory is known through the created universe that he has made. As we said in our opening prayer, the interesting thing about the creation of the world is that God created the world not in the way that a woman would make a cake by putting all the ingredients together and producing a cake, but what God did was he produced, he, as it were, created the world out of what existed at the beginning, and what existed at the beginning was absolutely nothing. There were no ingredients. He called into being that which formerly did not exist, and that shows to us his creative power. And therefore his glory is displayed in his creation. But also we discover that God's glory 
his holiness is displayed in his Son, Jesus Christ. He who has seen me, said Jesus, has seen the Father. The things that Jesus did, the love that Jesus showed, the concern that Jesus had, the interest that he had in different individuals is an expression of the interest and the good that God has for each and every one of us. But also we discover this, that while God's glory is seen in creation, while God's glory is seen in Jesus Christ, God's glory is also displayed in his church because that's what Jesus Christ came to found. He came, what did he say? I will build my church. And his church is expressed in local fellowships throughout the world as people fulfill the Great Commission to go into all the world. The church started in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and it moves out to the uttermost parts of the earth, including Markerfeld. And what is the church? Well, what is the, the church is a, a company of believing people. And what did Jesus say? You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. In other words, biblical holiness should be displayed not only in creation, not only in Jesus Christ, but in the individual moral lives of those who are involved in the church of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we read in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, what we are to put away. We're to put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. You remember when Jesus was called to go to the home of Lazarus, where Lazarus had died and he had been was buried and he was uh, wrapped in grave clothes, Jesus came in and what were his words? He said, release him from these clothes. Loose him and let him go. And what is it that God wants within the church of Jesus Christ? He wants us to, like the grave clothes and Lazarus, he wants us to rid our, of ourselves of anything that becomes a hindrance to his glory in the world. And the clothing of the old ought to be removed and replaced by, I suppose, what we're referred to in the scriptures at times as the garments of righteousness. We're to put away malice, that inner desire to design mischief against other people, deceit, to mislead by emphasizing what is not true, hypocrisy appearing to be something that in reality we're not, envy, which is unhappy with the good and the welfare of others that leads us to jealousies against them, or slander, a false report, maliciously injuring others' good name. And collectively and individually as a church, our lifestyles and actions ought to be calculated not to harm others and not to foul our testimony as Christians. In the church, we're called to rid ourselves of these things and to put off the clothing of our old nature and replace it with the garments of righteousness. As Christians, our job in the world today, no matter who we are, is to display the moral glory of God in our practical lifestyle. What does that mean? means that in work we don't fiddle the books. It means that our work should not be shoddy. 
It means that our standards should not be low. It means that our morality should not be questionable. And if and when criticism comes because we're engaged in things that are not what they should be, when that happens, then the glory of God is being sacrificed, and that should not be. Your obligation and mine as a member of a local church is to live a life of practical holiness. And we need to constantly ask ourselves the question, is that what I do? Am I a hindrance or am I a help for God's glory to be seen in the community around us? The story is told about a man who uh, on a Saturday night would have gone to, to the public house and often came home drunk. But on one occasion, on his way home, when he wasn't overly drunk, he stopped to listen to a group of people who were out on the Saturday night trying to promote the gospel. And to cut a long story short, over that weekend, he became a Christian. He went to work on the Monday morning. And he happened to work in a, in a business where the, the practice was to do as little work as you possibly could throughout the week. And then you were required to come in at the weekend and do overtime and you got money, extra money for work that should have been done during the week. And when this man came in on Monday morning, he informed his colleagues that he was now a Christian. And he started to work effectively. And of course, that didn't go down all that well. And people got at him and they said, of course, well, with the next weekend, you see what will happen. You know, it will not last. Weekend came and passed and it did last as did the next and the next and the next weekend. And then they thought, we'll have to go at this at a different tack. We'll have to try and demoralize him as a Christian. So they started to ask him difficult questions that he found hard to answer. One of the questions he was asked was the question, well, if you're a Christian, how was it that Jesus was able to turn the water into wine? To which he replied, I don't know how Jesus turned the water into wine because I'm not a theologian. But what I do know is in my house, he turned beer into furniture. How do people see you in your place of work? Are you a challenge to ungodliness in the best sense of that word, not making yourself objectionable? But surely one of your obligations in the Christian life is to live a life of personal holiness. Second obligation is to be involved in spiritual growth and maturity. First Peter 2 and 2, like newborn babes long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up. The local church is one place where we should be growing. And we should be growing as we come Sunday by Sunday and sit under the Word of God. And one of the great tragedies of the church in Northern Ireland and in Ireland and even, I suppose, throughout the world at times is that there are many people who profess to be Christians and what do they do? They remain in a state of permanent 
spiritual babyhood. I'm saved. That's what they would say. But that doesn't really, it doesn't go any further. And they don't really reflect their salvation and their spiritual maturity. And when spiritual babyhood continues, it is a tragedy in the lives of those who are involved in it. Because spiritual babyhood does not advance the kingdom of God. Years ago, there used to be a phrase that was used, particularly in young people's circles, when uh, young Christians were being taught in different things, and they were told that they should have a quiet time. I remember when I was a, a young Christian, uh, each summer I went to a camp that was run by an organization called the Crusaders, and it was held at Geismere in Castle Rock. It was under canvas, and it was uh, a camp for boys. I remember we were encouraged to have a quiet time each morning, and we were given a little card, which I kept for many, many years in my Bible. And it was a card that was to help you to understand what you were reading in the Bible. And you read the passage, and then this little card had a number of questions on it. As you read the passage, it then said, is there in the passage a command to obey? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to believe? Is there a warning to remember? Is there an example to follow? Is there a principle to live by? And by reading the passage and answering those particular questions, you got a lot out of the passage. And then on the other side, the flip side of the little card, there was uh, uh, some advice about prayer. And it gave that little acrostic, ACTS, A-C-T-S, that when you're praying, there, there are certain things you should be considering in, uh, in, in your prayers. Adoration, acknowledging God for who he is and what he has done. Uh, confession, taking time to think about your life and the sin that you've been involved in and confessing that sin. Thanksgiving for so many things that God had done for you. And supplication, which was another word for intercession, praying for other people. And that, of course, then leads, when we think about these things, into another territory. And that is the church prayer meeting. Let me pause for a moment. And let me speak to the younger Christians in the congregation just now. I know that your time is very precious. And I know that there are so many calls upon your time. But I would encourage you where possible and if possible on occasions to attend the church prayer meeting. Why do I say this? I say this because you could bring a contribution to the church prayer meeting that the older members of the congregation can't. You face difficulties and challenges in the world today that your parents, your grandparents, never had to face. And quite frankly, many of them know very little about it. And as you would come and pray for those things, they would become informed, and they too could be informed. And as you come and as they participate in the prayer meeting, you too can learn 
from them as well. And you should make a point of doing that if it is at all possible. Because in so doing, you will become an encouragement to those who do come along as well as they becoming an encouragement to you. As you all know, those, many of us have been taking services here during the vacancy. I'm retired and I go around a number of churches. I come to Union Road in the Comfort about once a month or so. And I go other places. Some places are more encouraging than others. And I would say that I enjoy coming to Union Road and La Comfort because, yes, there's good praise, there's good attendance, and that can be encouraging for the person at the front and hopefully helpful to the people who come Sunday by Sunday. But, you know, as Christians, we need to remember that as we come to church and as we're involved in church and as we learn in church, then that is the springboard for us to go out into the community. And we're living now in times that are very difficult. And as I said earlier on about the young people, they're facing challenges that, that many of you never had to face. And there are laws being passed and there's pressures on, on young people who are Christians to conform to certain things. And many of the things that we held dear in the past and we took as the norm are now being toppled over even with governmental legislation. And there's much to do with, with church life and what we believe is being challenged. The deity of Christ has been challenged. The atoning death of Christ on the cross. Yes, let's do, be do-gooders within our society. People will say, but we don't need any of this other stuff that believes the Bible and that tries to impose upon the upon community what the Bible is teaching. But we need to cultivate the desire for spiritual growth and maturity. And we need to understand that what the Bible says is that we will not always be popular in the world. In fact, if we are popular, there's something wrong. We don't need to go out to make ourselves unpopular, but we need to stand up for what the Bible teaches us as we are obliged to be involved in growth and maturity. Yes, there's personal holiness. There's personal growth and maturity. And thirdly, let's be engaged in personal ministry and service. I remember when I started my ministry, I went to, to Kilkeel, which is down on the down, county down along the coast. And just up from Kilkeel, there's a, the well-known uh, town of Newcastle. And uh, every year at that particular time, uh, the ministers of the area, along with other Christian people, got together and they organized uh, what was called in those days the Newcastle Convention, a bit like the Port Stewart Convention. But we all were, we were called down to a place uh, where it was sort of a, a, a Christian center where we met uh, to make arrangements for this. And on one occasion, I was down there and uh, I sat beside this rather distinguished looking individual. I didn't know him, I'd never seen him before. And uh, we were having coffee before the meeting started. And as I sometimes would do, I just turned to him and I said, well, tell me, uh, what fellowship do you belong to? And he sort of took a deep breath and he said, oh, he said, I don't belong to any fellowship. I'm a member 
of the universal church of Jesus Christ. I said, well, I thought to myself, what should I say here? Should I say anything or keep my mouth shut? And I said, I said well, it's very interesting. I'm a member of the universal church of Jesus Christ, but the problem that both of us have at the minute is that it hasn't met and it won't meet until the Lord returns. So what are you doing uh, church-wise until that time? You know, we do need to be involved in a fellowship where we can be involved in ministry and service, whether it's within the fellowship or whether it's the springboard from the fellowship outside. I've told you before about one of my closest friends who had to flee from Iran because he'd become a Christian and the uh, forces were out to try and catch him. And if they caught him, probably he would have been unfortunately gone the same route as that poor uh, man from the United Kingdom last week. Uh, and now he's over here. And he's a member of one of our Presbyterian churches. His wife recently became the treasurer of the church. And what's his contribution to the fellowship that he goes to? Well, there are other Iranians there that are not very good at, their, at they're not too good at English. And he goes along week by week on the Thursday evening to the midweek meeting, to the prayer meeting, and there in a corner he translates for them so that they understand. Ministry and service is something that all of us as God's children should be involved in. Yes, when we're at school or at home or with our neighbors or with our friends or our work colleagues, we should display personal holiness. We should display growth and maturity. And we should be displaying service. What is it the verse puts it? Only one life and it will soon be passed. And only what's done for the Lord will last. Personal ministry and service is a stepping stone to personal growth and maturity. And personal growth and maturity leads us back to personal ministry and service. As I said at the beginning, the Comfort Union Road are at a point in your history when a new chapter will begin. What questions do we need to ask ourselves? What is my focus? Am I sidetracked on my focus? Have I lost my first love? Am I majoring on issues that are trivial or important? Is my personal agenda the glory of God? Do I take the Bible seriously? What are my motives in serving in the church of Jesus Christ? Is God's glory my goal and the extension of his kingdom my chief desire? Do I humble myself before God and recognize that to fail to do so is the essence of sin? Is personal holiness, growth and maturity, ministry and service outside and inside the church my abiding and chief desire? Let us pray. Thank you.